for uh, through the season of Advent and uh, as we move uh, together into 2017, we've been just inviting people to come and share uh, stories of God's faithfulness and activity in life. And as we uh, continue again out of Advent and in this next season, we have somebody else who's going to come and share a story this morning. Is that right, George? So if you would. Uh, waiting, and I had written this for the series on waiting, but I'm reminded that Advent continues, so here goes. Um, Perhaps I've been waiting since I was eight, and my parents first got divorced, and my mom began to spiral out of control with alcohol and drug addiction. Perhaps I've been waiting since I was 13 and decided I no longer felt safe seeing her with the numerous unhealthy situations she had put me in. Recently, I told Kristen and Jordan Bolt that I was planning to write my mom a letter, I even told them both to hold me accountable. This is my verbal affirmation that the letter was delivered. (laughs) Um, So I needed to write her a really honest letter outlining why I had chosen some distance and boundaries with her over the years. I needed to tell her how I knew she was addicted to meth and alcohol, and I needed to tell her how hurt I was for her leaving me in unsafe situations as a child. Prior to me writing this letter, my grandparents sent me a package from her with some clothes for Jude and a letter from her, actually. Um, I read her letter with deep sadness that shortly turned to anger. She mentioned something of how she had tried to have a relationship with me um, and that I chose to believe what others, meaning my dad and my grandparents, had said about her. She told me now that I have a child, maybe I'll understand how hurt she, the hurt she's been caused by our absent relationship. This is what made me angry. Never once has she taken ownership. She continues to blame others, my grandparents, my dad, and even me for her problems. Reading her letter, I was both sad for her life and angry, because now that I have a child, I couldn't imagine not having a relationship with Jude. I haven't seen or had a relationship with my mom since I was about 13, where I decided I didn't want to see her anymore, nor was it good for me. I hear about her life and sometimes have exchanges with her through my grandparents, but haven't physically seen her since I was 19, which was a short interaction. I'm 27 now. I've worked through a lot to come to a place where I do believe I have forgiven her. I'm not sure I'm ready for a relationship with her, with her addiction so present, but I finally stepped forward and wrote her that really honest letter. I sit in waiting. Anyone who has dealt with addiction or someone with addiction will understand there's a lot of waiting present. I'm not sure what I'm waiting for. At this point, I wait in hope, and I've learned to be more patient in my waiting as I live in community here at Mountainside. I've learned to be more, sorry, although some small, some big, I've been witness to the greatest waiting here among all of you. I waited with five other women through pregnancy and hopeful anticipation of life. (laughs) That was really hard. (laughs) I've watched the Rayburns and the Moonies wait for life with such grace. Heidi with sweet Oliver waiting with such grace for her milk supply. I remember going to walk with Heidi recently. She greeted me with tears because of a tough day with Oliver. And in that moment, I had never seen so much strength, dedication, and grace in her waiting. My prayer that day was that I could wait like Heidi does. My life prayer is that I could be like Heidi. (laughs) (laughs) And now, Oliver loves his mom milk and is thriving so well. What a testimony to her patience. 
I remember the Westras living in their little two-bedroom on Lemon, waiting for a home. We, as a community, had so much fun moving in them into their new home. It was a celebration of their waiting. I remember waiting with the Ritzows for Nate's new job. We waited with the Ritzows because they invited us into that. It was beautiful the day he received the offer from Fuller. There are those here waiting for pregnancy, for family, for homes, jobs, income. Someone once told me to sit in the shit. There's no kids. Oh, sorry, Anna. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> sit in the crap. <laughs> for some reason, that phrase sounded so much cooler. And so this is what we do together. We sit in the crap. When Donald Trump is elected president, we sit in the crap. But while we do so, we wait. Because as many of you have taught me, while we wait, we do. I've learned that the Christian practice of waiting is not passive, but active. By doing, I mean that we work on behalf of our neighbors, we continue to nurse our children, we restore relationships, we protest, and for me, that meant writing that letter. I may never have a beautiful relationship with my mom, but I do know how to be in a season of waiting. I don't know what I'm waiting for, but I'm grateful for this community, thankful for those who are sitting in the crap for me, with me, and for waiting with me. For those of you in waiting, I sit in the crap with you. And as we wait in this Advent season, I'm grateful for the reminder of Emmanuel, because whatever we're waiting for, I'm reminded by all of you that the Spirit of God is present in it. As you can tell, I wrote this letter before Christmas, and I'm reminded again that Advent doesn't stop there. In fact, my story of waiting has updates. I just spoke to my grandma on Friday who said she gave my mom the letter. She also said, don't expect anything magical. I told her I wrote that letter for my own closure. I was reminded during this process that just as much as these stories remind us of the various Christian practices, these Christian practices have helped me wait better. Waiting as a Christian practice has helped remind me that this is what we do, and this is what we'll continue to do. And my story doesn't have a happy ending, and it may never, but I've seen God's faithfulness in this sort of waiting. I remember being so nervous to become a mother because of my experience with my mom. Being a mother has been the greatest gift I've been given. It's been so restorative. Being a mother has reminded me how much you truly love your children and has given me grace with my mom because I'm able to understand that our relationship is only absent because of something so powerful as addiction. I felt a new and overwhelming love in parenthood, and I'm reminded of the goodness of God. Waiting is hard, and I'm grateful that in my waiting experience, I see God's faithfulness. Thanks, Jordan. I, I, uh, I, I wrote that little thing that I posted and was in the tidings, and um, some of you have seen it, maybe some of you haven't. I, I love New Year's. I always have. Um, maybe it's because I live around here, and it's such a big deal around here. Um, the Rose Parade and um, the Rose Bowl and um, but what New Year's parties... But what I love the most is just kind of quietly sitting and thinking through the past year. Um, and maybe it extends beyond the past year, like Jordan's story. Um, thinking through the past. Um, 
where God has been faithful, where um, hopes um, have been fulfilled, um, taking honest looks at where things haven't gone, gone the way that maybe I hoped they would. Um, and then I love to, to hope forward um, and to imagine what's this next year going to be like? What's, um, what's in store um, for me, for people I care for? Um, this year we were in Atlanta, Georgia, of all places, on New Year's. Um, some of you know, maybe not all, my brother is a football coach at the University of Washington. And so um, Rob and I were disappointed on New Year's Eve when Washington lost, because Rob is a big fan with me, um, for the Huskies. That was a hope dashed. Anthony, my new friend, on the other hand, um, big fan of the team that shall not be named, uh, I'm sure was just very happy about this. Um, I'll root with you tomorrow, Anthony. Um, um, we had an awesome time in Georgia. We got to see things. We got to be with family. I get to see my nephews and nieces that I hadn't seen in quite a while. My brother, I even carved out a little time with him, which was fun. Um, <clears throat> but going away also provides kind of some space away from the normal, right? To just kind of think through things. And I just got even more excited about um, where we're headed this year in terms of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and I don't say all that to like kind of like pump it up. I, I really have a sincere hope for our, our time together in the Gospel of Matthew this year. Um, we've spent the year uh, looking at Christian practices and the book of Isaiah, and I'm just, I'm just optimistic um, this coming year on what it will look like for Mountainside Communion to follow Christ together in doing justice and loving kindness and walking humbly with God um, and taking a, taking a, a new look at um, Jesus. We can say amen to Jesus, right? Um, um, I, uh, I was in Coffee Bean this morning, kind of finishing things up, and I saw a, a, a friend whose son plays Little League with Caleb, and she's like, what, she doesn't come to Mountainside, she's a part of another church. She said, what are you preaching on? And I said, well, we're, we're in Matthew chapter 1 this morning, and she said, ooh, the genealogy. <laughs> And I said, yeah, you, you know your Bible. I wonder how many of you knew the genealogy is where the riveting genealogy of Jesus um, is what we're going to look at um, this morning. Who has the clicker? I'm going to steal that. Oh, thank you, Michael. Um, <clears throat> Matthew starts with a genealogy. This is not it. Um, this is a pic some pictures of Jesus. Um, and we really don't know where this genealogy came from that I'm going to read you in a second. Um, we really don't know um, kind of the birth records of Jesus, if you will. This is, this is maybe as close as we get. Um, but stuff in the Bible is there for a reason. Um, there's some reason the author of Matthew began his exploration of who Jesus is with this genealogy. 
And so I want us to kind of look at it and allow it to be what it is. It's an introduction to who Jesus is. Um, there's got to be something in here. Um, we've got to assume that the names in here communicate something, provide some kind of meaning for us as we think about anew. Who is this Jesus that we follow um, together? It's called, it's uh, Matthew 1 1 begins an account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So right off the bat, Matthew is connecting who Jesus is with David, King David, um, and Abraham, um, and Sarah, the, the, the father and mother of, of the Jewish faith, of our faith. Um, Jesus of Nazareth is placed in this enormous story of God's activity and faithfulness to the world. Um, it's called a segmented genealogy. So Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, I guess. Um, and... Uh, Now we know where salmon came from. All right. um, Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So the first segment and all the segments are going to have 14 generations in them. The first story contains... Some characters we may know, some characters we may not, but it moves from the great kind of father and mother of the faith towards the great king of the faith. Jesus' story is to be understood um, in terms of what God has done through the people of, of Israel. Um, and there's King David is a part of that. <clears throat> Second segment, all right, riveting here. This is riveting. Um, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Je Jeconiah, and his brothers, and at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And so we move in the second segment from this high point of King David to the most devastating event in the history of the people of God um, at this point, which is the, the exile to Babylon. Jesus' story is to be found in the story of great um, faithfulness and power up to King David. And Jesus' story is to be found in the most painful, exilic realities of life. Um, 
Jesus' story makes sense in both of those places. Third genealogy, third segment of the genealogy, last one. Um, And after the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of that person, and that person the father of that person, and Zerubbabel the father of that person, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Iliad, and Iliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Um, the great father to the great king or Messiah, the great Messiah to the great devastation. Um, the great devastation to the Messiah, the new Messiah, a different Messiah. Um, Why does he start this way? Such a weird way to start a story where you're trying to, like, get people's attention. There seems to be a couple questions um, that starting this way gets at. Um, One of these lists, the second one, I believe, is largely found in Chronicles. But there's names taken out. Presumably they're taken out so that it stays at 14 generations. That each one would be 14 generations. In Hebrew, you don't have numbers, like different, you write it out. Um, Without going into a big lesson, you can trust me when I say, um, the same word for 14 uses um, the same kind of indicators in the Hebrew language as the word David. Um, I think questions about where Jesus comes from are being asked between the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Matthew. Someone really cares. A community, perhaps, really cares. Where does this guy come from? What is this guy about? And the Gospel of Matthew is trying to answer in a couple of different ways. One, he's answering by saying, this one, this Jesus, this deliverer um, is a significant one. It's kind of like his resume, if you will. Um, This one, this significant one is connected to Abraham and to David, um, the Messiah. And I sat with this um, confession, this, this proclamation, and thought about us as a church. The Messiah, Jesus, 
at some point in each of our lives has gotten hold of us, has been faithful to us. I mean, we are here on a Sunday morning, it's beautiful outside, um, worshiping because Jesus has gotten a hold of us. Um, and I want us to joyfully and courageously celebrate that this year. Um, I want us to explore it honestly, um, but with courage and with hope, because I think that's what the Gospel of Matthew is about. Bar none, what does it mean to be a disciple of this significant one? This significant one that has got a hold of us. That's why we're here to worship. That's why we pour into one another's lives. It's why we start an immigration resource center. It's why we do what we do. It's because the Messiah, Jesus, this different kind of Messiah, has gotten a hold of us. Um, I am so looking forward to us reading through the Gospel of Matthew together um, and exploring that, um, that reality. Um, and, and specifically, what does that have to do with, with the call of, of mountainside um, communion? So, a couple of invitations. One, I want to hear more stories from, from one another. Um, I, I'm interested in stories about what God has done in our life. It could be stories of how this significant one got a hold of us. I want them to be honest. I want them to be truthful, and I would love to hear stories from one another. And I think we would all appreciate, continue to appreciate stories of just how we began to follow this one. Um, secondly, I want to encourage you, New Year's resolution, anyone have a Fitbit or a, or a plan for um, some kind of change in your life? I've got one to add for you. And, and Ari's here. This is, trust me, I'm the pastor. This does not come naturally. Um, I want us to consider in our households to read the Gospel of Matthew throughout the year um, together. I, I would, or you can say amen to that. Too. Yeah. Uh. <clears throat> Who you are, where you're at. Engaging this one that has got a hold of us and who we, we want to follow. Um, reading Matthew again for the first time. Um, we're going to be doing that with the church because this is in the lectionary. This is the year that especially focuses on Matthew. So we won't be alone in this exploration. Um, but no matter what you thought about as you reflected on 2016 and kind of aspired for in 2017, I invite all of us to bring that to a reading of the Gospel of Matthew this year. That's like a half a chapter a week. I'm not asking for much. Um, <clears throat> and we're going to do a lot of it together in here. Um, so one question I think Matthew's trying to answer is, this is the Messiah of the world. God's Messiah. It's the one we have given our lives to. 
in baptism and in Eucharist each week. Um, we want, we're going to praise God um, this year with courage and with hope. Second question. There seems to be another question being asked that Matthew gets at. It has to do with the women who are noted in this genealogy. Do you notice that as we read through that? There's five women um, that are named specifically in this genealogy. But certainly not every generation, therefore. I mean, there's what, 28 plus 14? You do the math. Whatever that is, there's only five women, right? Um, so not every generation has a woman named. So Matthew is doing something here. Um, so let's look real quick at these women. Tamar is uh, the first woman named. Anybody know the story of Tamar? Yeah? Trisha, in 30 seconds, the story of Tamar. Yes. Yes. Boom. Somebody was in Bible quizzing when they were young. Yeah. <laughs> Tamar, daughter-in-law of Judah, her husband dies. She has no kids. That's a big deal. Um, her husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's line um, by having children with her. And so Judah promises to her that his youngest son will be the one um, to do that and then changes his mind. So Tamar um, is concerned about her social viability. This is all about social viability. That's what this is all about with these women. Um, and so she, many would say in an act of courage and hope, um, tricks her father-in-law um, because of social and carrying on her husband's name. This is, it's hard for us to understand what a big kind of responsibility that was. But in these days it was. It was a huge responsibility. Um, and so she tricks her father-in-law at the gate. And he doesn't even know what he's doing. And so in the uh, interaction, transaction, I guess, um, she says to him, hey, what are you going to give me for this? And he says, well, I'll give you a lamb or some animal. And she says, well, why don't you give me something else that I'll return to you when that lamb is given to me? Because you don't have the lamb with you, basically. And he said, okay, here's a staff and a cord and there's something else. Um, she takes it. They separate. He goes home, finds out a few months later that Tamar is pregnant. And he's angry. How could you do this to my family? Get pregnant. This is an abomination to our family, an embarrassment. And she says, well, it was the one who gave me this staff and this cord um, that did this. And he knew all of a sudden what he had done. And so Judah acknowledges this and says, she is more in the right than I. That's Tamar. Um, the next one is Rahab. Anybody know the story of Rahab? Jason, 30 seconds, Rahab. Yeah. 
Yes. Boom. Treason. She is acts, demonstrates an act of treason. As the spies come into Jericho, she welcomes them into her home to protect them. The king of Jericho finds out and says to her, send them out. And she says, she hides them on the roof and says, they've gone already. But if you hurry, you could catch them. And so the king goes to catch them and she lets them out through a wall and says, but remember me and my family when you attack. Because um, the reputation of your God is such that I know your God is going to prevail. So remember me, a prostitute, a non-Israelite, um, a Gentile. Remember me. That's Rahab. Um, the next one is Bathsheba. Probably the most popular or famous of, of the women in, in the story. Um, Bathsheba um, is the story of really David's idiocy, to be honest. Um, David, this one after God's own heart, um, in a, a moment where he sees Bathsheba bathing... Um, abuses the power that he has and calls her um, um, to his chambers. Um, she becomes pregnant. Um, and her husband, Uriah, is fighting for David. So in this story, the irony is that David is the king. Kings are supposed to be out fighting for their people. They're supposed to be leading the army. And he is at home doing this. Uriah is out leading the army. And Uriah comes home and David says, oh, hey, well done, good work. Why don't you go home and celebrate the good things you're doing and be at home with your wife. And Uriah, in this beautiful moment, says, no way could I ever do that. My people are out fighting. I could never go and be in luxury while they're out fighting for what God is calling us to. David says, okay. You have this like comedic moment like, shoot, he's better than me, you know. So then he says, summons Uriah again, and he gets him drunk and tells him, surely now, go home, be with your wife, you know, celebrate. No, I could never do that. The people who I'm fighting with are out. I can't, I could never do that. And so David makes a plan to where Uriah would be at the front of the battle, and the army would abandon him, and he would die. And this happens. Um, and Bathsheba and David's first child dies um, because of his, um, his move. Um, and Bathsheba bears a son, Solomon, the wise one. Um, uh, again, this contextually is um, a story of redemption for, for Bathsheba. Um, she's caught up in the powers and principalities of fame and wealth and power. Um, next, there's Ruth. Anybody know the story of Ruth? Ruth and Naomi? Ruth is an immigrant. Um, 
She comes in. She marries uh, Naomi's son, along with some other women, who marry, not his son, but her multiple sons. Um, and all of her sons die. Um, and her other daughter-in-laws leave and return home, understandably so. And Ruth stays with Naomi and says, your people will be my people. I'll go where you go. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth and Naomi, um, again, in attempts, um, this, this leaves them socially alienated, this story. Um, and so in an attempt to kind of move forward in what they imagined life to be, she, they greet Boaz, Naomi's friend, and Boaz says to um, Ruth, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. faithful outsider, the faithful immigrant. Um, these four women are named in the genealogy of Jesus. Um, and it makes you think, what kind of question is being asked at Matthew to introduce Jesus, the king, would be so compelled um, to add these women into the story. These faithful Outsiders. Um, probably had to something to do with Jesus' immediate family. Mary and Joseph. The ones born poor. Um, whose pregnancy had all sorts of suspicion around it. Um, if we look at the, this, you'll, I've, I've kind of highlighted... The genealogy is very clear. It says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar, by Rahab, by Ruth. Um, I missed one somewhere. By the wife of Uriah, Bathsheba. When it gets to Mary, Matthew writes, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. And this is kind of Matthew's first affirmation of the virgin birth of this special history of Jesus. Um, later, there's a, a stronger proclamation of this. But I think for us today, and as we enter into Matthew and think about who this Jesus is, we're invited to read this to, and remember that on the one hand, Jesus is Messiah. Has caught our hearts, our lives. Um, and the second, the startling thing about a list like this, because if I went into all the stories of the men in this passage, they are just as, they're, they're even more like, I mean, I just went into a few of them. David, like, scoundrel, murderer, 
Um, that the lineage of Jesus um, is Messiah and is as real as any of our lineages are as well. We may not have the royalty lens. Some of us might. Have you done the, um, whatever it's called? Anyways, thank you, Ancestry.com. Um, thank you, Heather. Um, but this is a Messiah that we can connect with. Um, the show on NBC, This Is Us. Um, I, I'm about halfway through, Ari and I are about halfway through the first six or seven episodes. So I don't know all of it yet. But the show caught me in the beginning, in the previews, and really just the title. This wonderful kind of proclamation, this is us. And I think the Gospel of Matthew invites us to that kind of proclamation. We follow Jesus, and this is us. And us is okay. Us fits into the story of what God has been up to. Um, the startling thing is not the virgin birth. The startling thing is that God has not given up on humanity. Um, <clears throat> and these women are amazing testimonies or, or confessions to the, 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 how far God will go to keep the story of God um, alive. So as the kids come in, a couple things to think about as we go. Number one, I, I said, and this year, let's together befriend the humble king. Um, let's I know we didn't get through much of the Wesleyan Covenant service last Sunday, from what I hear. Um, wonderfully so, it sounds like. Um, let's recommit to following Christ together um, this year. Um, if the story of God, number two, if the story of God can include the scandalous men and women of these stories... And not only in, like, include the scoundrels, but also wonderfully includes people that socially were not included. And not only includes them, but names them as the bearers, as the responsible ones for maintaining the story of God. What does that do to us and our vision of the friendships we have, the hopes that we have that God might work in our friends' lives, in our lives. I think it cracks open all possibilities. Um, we all just spent time, presumably, with some family um, Whoever your family is, whatever my family is, whatever our friendship circles are, God. The story of God depends on breaking out of our expectations, um, our comfort zones, um, 
And so let's be open to that this year um, as a church. And then lastly, and, and this one, I, I, I want to challenge us a little bit. Things happen outside of our imagination in life. In the Old Testament, God didn't even want a king, right? God didn't want a king. And here we are reading a story about a king. Things happen outside of God's imagination, presumably. Um, things happen outside of ours as well. Um, things go wrong. People make choices that we don't want. People make choices that affect us. Eight years ago, people were saying, we have Obama. What do we do now? We sit here, Jordan shared with us already today. We have Trump. What do we do now? Here's the temptation for us. Go watch a bunch of Trevor Noah. <laughs> right? Samantha B, right? I will. You'll, you'll find me there. Um, but let's not let it end there. God is so much bigger than any of the imaginations that are not fulfilled, the dreams that are not fulfilled for us. God is so much bigger. To follow Jesus is to stay open even when our imaginations and our dreams have not been fulfilled. Amen? Amen. Kids, even if your dreams don't come true, this is gospel. God is with us and much bigger than that. Adults, come on, let it sink in. Oh, I'm passionate about this today. So let's have courage and hope this year. Honest. Courage and hope might mean standing up for things. But let's make it courage and hope. I don't know what last year held for all of you, but this year holds something different. No matter where we feel like we fit and what our dreams were and what our hopes were, Maybe we feel like we fit outside of those. Let's follow Jesus. Because the story of Jesus falls outside of those um, as well. Amen? So a lot of Jesus talk this year, okay? Um, and, uh, and I'm really hopeful for what God's going to do among us um, together. Who are we missing? Confirmation? Is that all? Three's to fives. Max. <clears throat> Chad, you want to come and sing a little bit while the other... Uh... Oh, here we go. Never. Let... You can come still, Chad. And we'll... Uh...
So we're going to practice um, the Christian faith this year by celebrating Eucharist, by reading our Bibles. Kids, we're going to try to read our Bibles this year. There you go, parents. The pressure's on, myself included. Um, <clears throat> Michael, I'm so sick. Do you mind breaking the bread and I can... I don't want it. Yeah. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples. And after giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that's broken for you. This is us. Um, and likewise, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant that's shed for you. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. The story of God is um, full of people um, like you and me um, who don't add up all the time, whose dreams get dashed, um, and yet there is one who has come, who is Messiah, the humble king, um, who's got a hold of our lives in some way. Uh, and I invite you to come and consider, what would it be this year to follow Christ intentionally, openly? Um, what, God, what might God do among us um, as we do that together?